Welcome to Heavy Hitter Sports, where I share the inspirational stories and thought-provoking lessons from game-changing athletes and business leaders. I'm your host, Mark Hogesang. I'm generally not one for New Year's resolutions, but I do believe in setting goals and creating action plans. This is my 60th podcast episode, and I'm planning on releasing another 25 during 2024, hopefully on a more regular bi-monthly cadence. On this particular show, I'll be sharing some of my favorite episode highlights from the past year. These top 10 gems are not listed in order of significance or even chronologically, but I believe that you'll find the advice, insights, and behind-the-scenes stories from these guests both valuable and interesting. One of the things that I love most about sports is that they serve as a rallying point that bonds friends and family members together. This was certainly true for JoLynn Mitchell. JoLynn is a leadership and executive coach and fellow former Nike and Adidas veteran. Here's how she described the impact that sport had on her life. Can you talk about the importance of sport in your life? Oh my gosh, I don't think we have enough time. My dad was a professional football player for the Canadian Football League, and he kicked the world's longest field goal. He was in the Guinness Book of World Records. He went to two Olympics for wrestling. I was a gym rat. And it was funny when I went to college, we as my sister and I, we were very close in age and a year apart in school. And we would be in basketball, then basketball would end and we'd go to volleyball and then volleyball would end and we'd go to cap and field. It was just this group of kids that just kept circling the drain of all of the sports that were happening. And when I went to college, college, not having that as a tether in my schedule. I didn't even know, like, what was I going to do with all this free time? So I tried out for the volleyball team at the university that I went to. And fortunately, I made it. And so therefore, I was able to stay grounded and play collegiate volleyball. So it's always been near and dear to my heart and very much a grounding for our entire family. We typically assume that a pro athlete's biggest moments will be filmed, with millions watching in real time. But that's not always true. Mike Hass failed to receive a single college scholarship, so he had to walk on at Oregon State. But he made the very most of that opportunity. During his senior year, Mike won the Blitnikoff Award and was recognized as the nation's top receiver. Listen as Mike shares the moment he received the even bigger news that he would be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Pretty cool, obviously. You get you get placed onto the ballot, and then you have to be voted to actually be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So you see your name on a list with 40 other guys who had really strong careers, did really great things, also did great things on the NFL. So yeah, we were in Jamaica about six years after getting married on a delayed honeymoon for multiple pregnancy reasons, COVID. But my buddy Brent actually, my phone was dead and international, so he texted my wife and was like, hey, you're going to get a call from Corvallis. I suggest you pick it up. He wouldn't say what it was. I'm on vacation. I don't want to say that. I don't want to. Like, no, just do it. Okay, fine. I didn't even put it together that it could have been the college football because I didn't, I don't know when they announced that. So my wife gets a call. We're just lying in bed, relaxing after dinner. It's about six hours further over there. And I'm Scott Barnes. He goes, hey, Mike, just want to let you know you've been inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame. I was like, really? A big one, like the College Football Hall of Fame. We're not talking like Oregon State Hall of Fame. Or anything <laughs> like that. No offense to Oregon State's Hall of Fame, but like the big ones, I know, like the College Football Hall of Fame. I was like, wow. I went out by the ocean and, and took the call and hung up, said thank you, obviously, and kind of sat there for a moment and really reflected on everything that brought me to that point. And it was cool because, like I said, I was 39 at that time, and it was a good 10 years after I put on a helmet. You forget about everything you went through, all the hardships, being a walk-on, licked off, playing in the NFL even. It all comes back to you a little bit. So it was, a, it was an emotional rush. I was thinking as you were talking, did you shed a tear? Because I know I would have had that call come to me. I did, for sure. It was hard not to, trying to 
suck it up when I went back into my wife. But uh, back in there, she was asleep already. So. <laughs> Whether in sports or business, keeping your eye on the ball is paramount. As entrepreneur and business consultant, Casey Cavell reminds us, what's the single most important thing when it comes to running a business? I got a sign behind me. It says, stay focused. That's it. I think it's staying focused on the right things. So you got to figure out what the right things are, and then you got to stay focused on those things. Sports also teaches us that motivating our teammates is critical if we want to win. Des Clark was a star NFL tight end, played in the Super Bowl, and now runs his own successful trucking company called Bear Down Logistics. Here's how he details his approach to winning in business. I truly want to see everybody at their best. I truly believe that everybody has greatness in them, in different areas, doing different things. If you're around me, you're not going to be able to be anything less than what you're capable of. Or I'm probably going to act as sandpaper that's going to ah, just scratch you up all the time. Because if you're going to live this life, which we are because we're here, you might as well live it to the fullest. And does that mean that you're always going to be operating at the highest levels, accomplishing the greatest things? No, but the focus should always be there. I truly care about people. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions, even with Bear Down Logistics. It's part of what I do in my hiring process with Bear Down Logistics. I have to understand what you're trying to get accomplished as a person. Once I can understand that, you have to actually verbalize that to me in a way I can understand it and I can break it down in order for me to even consider hiring you. And now that I understand what your goals and your ambitions are, I know now what I can do or what I can't do to help you get there. Anybody who I've ever hired, we've had this conversation. What can I do to help you get to where you're going? And then I let them know what I can do to help them get to where they're going. Because if I can help them get to where they're going, that's only going to be good for Bear Down Logistics also. Matt Pell is a renowned retail sporting goods consultant, and he may be the best connected man in the industry. Matt sheds light on valuable early career lessons and the importance of networking. Talk to me about the best lessons that you learned working for Jordan Marsh. They really were management kinds of things. So, you know, making sure that you're taking care of your people. I always like to tell the story this way. I was never a very good buyer, but I was a really good merchandise manager. And one of the things that I thought about doing as a merchandise manager was how do I facilitate so that my people have the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that they need to do their jobs better. And that's always been a really important thing for me. One of the other lessons is when Jordan Marsh went away in the great federated bankruptcy and the implosion of the department store industry. A bunch of us got to do something new, but they offered me outplacement. And the big lesson I took away from outplacement was networking. And I networked every day. My, one of my favorite phrases when I'm talking to young people is, your network is your net worth. And I just crossed over 29,000 LinkedIn followers. I work at networking every single day. And that was a really important lesson at the end of my department store career. As sports fans, we typically have at least one team that we seemingly live and die for. For stand-up comedian Karen Morgan, that's her beloved Georgia football team. And for me, it's all things USC. Karen and I talk about how we behave, 
or misbehave on game day. It's hard to be around me during Georgia games. If I'm in Athens, I'm in Sanford Stadium. I'm crying most of the time because it's so emotional to me. My dad's ashes, my brother and I scattered on the 50-yard line there. I'm not supposed to say that, but I'll tell you that. Wow. Um, so when I walk into that stadium, it's a whole different experience for me anyway. But I have to get there before the team comes out when the, there's a the trumpet player that starts the game that's up in the top of the... And I cry. My kids have learned to just, mom's going to cry. It's going to be okay, but I am, I'm an emotional wreck and I will stay till the end of the game. And if I'm here watching on TV, I'm also not fun to be around. Our households alike. If it's a tough USC game, the three of us might be in separate rooms in this house watching. <laughs> and our dog might be in a fourth because no. our previous dog, although he was named Barkley for Matt Barkley, the former USC quarterback, he was not a sports dog. So when things got fiery in the house, he would just go into his little apartment. We have a better sports dog now named Blazer. But yeah, we go separate directions for fear that we're just going to annoy somebody by yelling or screaming or whatever. So, And that's okay. This is a troubling time for some in the sports business world. Sadly, Nike's on the verge of another significant layoff. So if you are looking for a new job, here's some sage wisdom from Peter Pascal, who has helped literally thousands of people find more enriching careers by leading his company, Career Makers. And if you do need job-seeking help or just want a sounding board, please feel free to call or email me. At the risk of sounding like Pollyanna here, is there a way of making this lonely job search process a little bit more fun or enjoyable? Make sure that every day you're around people, even if it means getting out and taking a walk. Volunteering. Be around people. Don't allow yourself to get stuck all day by yourself. That's one of the most difficult challenges that we put ourselves in because we have come from a job, whether it was hybrid or at home, we were still part of a team or an organization, and now we're not. And it's just really easy to quickly lose contact and lose confidence in ourselves. One of my emails has about what I call losing track or jumping the tracks. For so long, we've been on the Adidas tracks or the Nike track or Portland State University track. And all of a sudden, somebody says, you're not welcome on this track anymore. And so we are on a different track. For some period of time, our new track parallels the old track because we still have this connection with the old job. We may have benefits that are still coming from or whatever. So we still have the connection and we want that connection, even though it's not there. But eventually we start moving away and now we start creating a new set of tracks for ourselves. I like that. Having left Nike in November of 2020, I was like, hey, my track is sports. So yeah, I've had the advantage of working for some of the major players in the sporting goods industry, but because I'm not, doesn't mean I care less about sports today. So very quickly, I was like, how do I stay connected? And I was like, start a sports-oriented podcast, which I've done. Invest in sports startups, which I've done through Oregon Sports Angels. So I don't need that badge any longer, even though I totally understand what you're talking about, because proudly, my son would have for 20 years said, yeah, my dad works for Nike. Yeah, that's our badge. We can, that badge is taken from us. The longer we're out on our own, the farther away we get from those tracks. And the more we create our new safety zone, and oftentimes because we're doing it by ourselves, it's all about the isolation of. And the longer I think that we are in that situation, our objectivity and our perspective becomes more warped and more internal as opposed to external. Because again, it comes back, we're not feeling good about ourselves. We're not feeling good about our world. We're not feeling good about the people in our world. I think that's really important. So to have some joy, to do something every day, to have a plan, write it down. I have people that I tell, put sticky notes around, put your compass on your bathroom mirror, write affirmations and follow through with them every day. 
Make sure you check in with people, get out of the house, do something, volunteer. Those are all things that will allow you to get new stimulus that you won't happen if you're just by yourself all the time. The drive to birth a business of their very own can inspire some people to leave the supposed safety of a corporate job. That was the case for Sarah Sukumaran, who founded a women's luxury footwear brand named Lilith NYC, just as the pandemic broke out. At that point, I was two years at Nike, roughly. And I don't know, I just felt like seeing working with teams, we're talking about the women's business, we're talking about how women spend more on sneakers, like the data is all out there, right? It's public data. It's not even Nike data. It's just we're seeing the trends of women being more vocal about lack of size inclusivity, lack of premium materials being made. And like I said to you, like, I've always wanted to do something for women sneakerheads. In 2015, I had the idea to create an aggregate site, just make it easy for women to shop because I came from the world of e-commerce analytics. I was always observing behavior on websites to see how women were shopping. And we know that women own I think it's 85% of the wallet, right? So most transactions made on the internet are from women. And in my opinion, even the way a website is merchandised should be catered to women. So that was my first idea was like, let's just make it easy for curating all, whether it's Nike, Adidas, all these other brands, just make it a one-stop shopping destination for them. And again, I bought the domain, created the Instagram account, created the Tumblr, but didn't do anything with it. Like my boss at the time was like, yeah, do some blogging. I just took some photos of my kicks. I was really into New Balance at the time in 2015. And that was it. Didn't do much there. Fast forward, I'm at Nike for two years. I'm still hearing the same things five years later from sneakerheads and reading blogs. And I was like, you know what? It's not just product, right? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, you just want to change the woman's last of a product. To me, what I was realizing, it was beyond product. It was a bigger issue. It was how we market to women through the storytelling that we do. It was through the ads that are perceived wasn't changing. And it was the fact that footwear has been hyper-masculine for 40, 50 years. Nike and Adidas, all these companies started through the lens of supporting male athletes, male sport. And that narrative hadn't changed, in my opinion. Like it was very few, like even today, probably can count on one hand how many women athletes are being sponsored. And when they do make investments, it's so small. It's so minuscule compared to how much we pay male athletes today. So I was like, there's so much more to be done beyond just physical product, just from a storytelling perspective. So I was like, you know what? I have savings. I actually diverted all the savings I had for a down payment to a home into the business. The inspiration for a new business or product can often come from the strangest of places. As design guru Tim Clark explains, here's Tim depicting how Nike's game-changing football gloves came into being. At the time, Jay-Z was pretty famous for the rock symbol, which is if you can take your index fingers and your and the ends of your thumb and doing that same motion. So not interlacing the hands together, but just putting the, the four fingers and the thumbs and showing the palms, creating a diamond or the rock symbol in that void space between the thumbs and the four fingers or the pointer fingers. So I knew that was going on, but then there was an NCAA championship. There was a photograph of a player on one of the Florida teams and he was doing that symbol. And I remember at the times we were moving out of PVC products, the sticky material that created the great performance characteristics of those receiver's gloves, they were done by putting layers of PVC. And that obviously was a a really bad material, both on the manufacturing side for the workers to be working in those environments. And then it was terrible on the uh, when it got into the landfill. So we were moving into different materials. And most of the materials we had weren't really performing all that well. 
but there was one particular silk screening of silicone that worked really well. And we found that, oh my gosh, we could also create graphics. So when we had this idea of graphics on a palm, and then I saw this Florida player doing the rock symbol. For some reason, I just thought, what if I put the Gator logo on the palm? And when he did this rock symbol, it would actually create the logo on the palm. And it also filled another need for players to be able to express themselves in college, especially because a lot of their accessories, they couldn't put color onto it because of certain referee type rules. So it was really just as simple as that. And I thought that the NCAA, especially the teams and their marketing departments were going to shut that down in a hurry because of branding and just not being able to control how they show up as a brand. And for some reason, Florida and a few of the schools we did for that NCAA season, they thought it was okay. And sure enough, the very first championship game, which was when those gloves were unveiled, I think it was Mark Ingram of Alabama ran up to the TV camera and all you saw was those gloves with the school logo and it it just became a thing. I love hearing untold or behind-the-scenes stories. Hopefully you do, too. Here are two compliments of Joanne Scott, who previously worked in sports marketing at Nike and is now the Managing Director of Men's Basketball Championships at the NC2A. First, Joanne shares a magical moment involving the 1992 USA Basketball Dream Team. And then she reveals how the NC2A quickly reacted to the pandemic. I will say to you, having the Nike connection, I will tell a little secret. I was the one that got the flags to, and this was before I was at USA Basketball. Dave Gavitt, who was the president of USA Basketball, asked me, can you get three American flags for the medal ceremony? And it was on closing ceremony day and the gold medal game. So I'm the one that got the flags that went over and Michael and Charles and Scotty's wow. shoulders and um, used them and then took them back and got them to the rightful owner. I was the one scrambling to find three American flags. You mentioned things going wrong and clearly the pandemic led to the cancellation of the 2020 tournament. Can you talk a little bit about how that decision was made to cancel the tournament? Sure. We were in New York City with our men's basketball committee, and we had heard it was becoming more and more prevalent. The name was, it was more coronavirus then. And we had met with our broadcast partners that day, and they asked us anything you guys have heard. And we had started voting, and we had voted teams and done our voting procedures. And we kind of took a pause because, remember, the committee is division one athletic directors and conference commissioners. So they're starting to get calls from their presidents, their membership going, wait a minute here, we might be shutting down campuses. And then we might be shutting down our conference tournament. And so we had people that were hearing it from their side. And then Rudy Gobey tested positive and the NBA shut down. But we had really, I'd gone to bed the night before thinking, and we were trying to move sites. Like the states, if you remember, Washington was struck. We had games in Spokane, so we were relocating it. Ohio was bad. We had games in Dayton. We were relocating it, not knowing what we were up against. So we, I went to bed. I had relocated four sites, and I was feeling pretty good. And then I woke up the next day. And I think the thing I would say to you is it happened so fast. That night, we stayed up trying to, could we come up with a Sweet 16? Could we at least give it a week? These teams want to have a tournament. There was a lot of, of that going on, but it just happened so fast. You're, you're right, because you make that cancellation decision. I believe, five days before the tournaments to start. Yeah, it was a Thursday that we made the cancellation or that the committee voted. Again, all of our championships, we talk about March Madness, all of our spring and winter championships were canceled. So it was a decision made by our board of governors that just canceled it all, including, if you remember, I think there was some criticism because we canceled the spring championships during March. I think it was just, it was surreal. (laughs) 
Well, that puts a wrap on 2023. I hope you enjoyed this brief trip down memory lane. If you'd like to hear more from any of these guests, remember that all of my episodes are stored on my website, heavyhittersports.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, please reach out. My contact information is included in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Please also check out last week's fascinating talk with sports parenting coach Kirsten Jones. And stay tuned for my chat with television personality and author Teresa Strasser. It's one of my favorite episodes to date. Teresa has just published an acclaimed book entitled Making It Home. This is a poignant and at times funny story about her grief recovery journey as she and her father become consumed by a season of Little League Baseball. Until next time, sports fans, keep swinging away. (laughs) 